Is ministering to the next generation easy? No, does anybody here think it is easy? Can I see a hand? Think, okay. But is ministering to the next generation necessary? Thank you. You see, children are only a percentage of culture, but they are 100% the future. Think about that for a second. They're only a percentage of culture right now, but they are 100% the future. So are you ready for some bad news? Can I share some bad? Welcome to church. Can I share some bad news with you? This is a quote that I've been chewing on for a year and a half, and it's really kind of just kind of uh, rocked me a little bit, and I want to share it with you. I've used it in other settings to share it, and I want to share it with you, and I want to see how it sits with you, but there's good news. Barna, David Kinneman, who works uh, with Barna Group, he's also an author, he says this, barring a move of God and radical youth discipleship, we have reached the point of statistical and irreversible decline in the church, which means if we don't seek God in radically different ways and disciple young people differently, all you and I will do with our time is manage the decline of the American church. Does that sit heavy with you at all? Manage the decline of the American church. I know when I've gone through Europe and, and traveled through Europe, I would see empty churches. And the fear is we don't ever want to see that, but that statement just kind of hit different with me. But... The church that has a future will be the church that learns how to impact someone's future. And I don't want to make any balancing statements. I don't think I need to. That's Jesus. Jesus, first and foremost, clearly Jesus, that we want to impact a generation with the gospel and impact their future with them saying yes to Jesus and trying to fearlessly follow him no matter what. So would you agree with me that culture has changed at such a rapid and dramatic pace? Like, my VCR still blinks 12. Does anybody else have a VCR still? Like, no, not many hands have gone up. Who's my MapQuest generation? Is it, do I have a MapQuest generation? Now, you know MapQuest was probably more difficult and dangerous than actually texting and driving because we had to read the pages of, like, turn-by-turn -turn things, right? I, and I wasn't good. But then before the MapQuest generation, there was the Rand McNally generation with a big book. They had like the, and, and hats off to all you guys who like memorized every street. Well, you take 95 to 17 and 13, you take a six. I don't, I just, is there a water tower? I just need to know when to turn left. That's it. But I did, I did some research and I found uh, some pictures I want to share with you. And I found the very first remote control that was ever created. Why don't you take a look? It's us. <laughs> it was us. John, get up and turn the channel on channel three. Okay. And I was also the, the drink deliverer and the time teller. It was, it was everything. Uh, who had this system in their home? Anybody remember this system? The stacks. This wasn't the boom box. Now, that was legit. They need to bring those back. But the stacks with the double tape deck and the CD player. And if you really had another stack, you had the eight track in it. And then you had the, the turntable up top, right? Who, who still has this in their house, right? And then this was my, my iTunes and my, my playlist right here, right? Does anybody still own those things? Because you just don't want to let go of that piece of history. <laughs> Haircuts have changed. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. Mullets are back. That's actually me, by the way. Mullets are back. Um, but then, don't show this picture yet, but then when I, I started youth ministry in 1999, that's when I started youth ministry, no, I, and uh, Things were a little bit different in 99 than they are in the 2000s. The 1990s youth pastor, 
looks like this. And the 2020 is youth pastor. So, you know, a few face tattoos, you, you get it going. And then I showed this last picture I showed a few years ago, but it's just that good that I wanted to show it again. And it's 2018, hey, son, I found a picture of your grandpa. 2060, hey, son, found a picture of your grandpa. Boy, we have something to be proud about, don't we? It's changed. It's changed. Psychologist Stanley Hall says this about adolescence. He describes adolescence this way. It's a time of Sturm und Drang. It's a German word meaning storm and stress. Turmoil. Really, it's a time when teenagers are in conflict with their parents. Anybody say amen to that one? And there's a uh, mood disruptions, and then there's, they engage in risky behaviors. Sturm und Drang. They're transitioning from childhood to adulthood. You know, it's an uncommon calling, ministering in moments that involve hormones and holiness and moodiness and godliness. But it's no secret, and I, don't, I think we all would agree, it's no secret that the enemy is out to destroy a generation. And he's going after them. He's going after their identity, questioning who am I, which then they're shaping their values around that. He's going after their belonging, to whom do I belong, where do I belong, and they're shaping their beliefs around their belonging system, and they're, he's going after their purpose. How do my choices matter, and do I actually make a difference? And then they're shaping their behaviors around that. So there's a term in the nautical world um, that's been used for a very long time, and and. Throughout history, sailors would tattoo these eight simple letters across their knuckles to remind them that they could get through any storm. And that term is hold fast. And it traces back from a Dutch word, houd vast, which means to hold tight, like grip, hold tight, white knuckled. And an intense refusal to let go, to fight through the storm. I was rereading some old church historians, and William Carey was one that I kind of came across and was reading some of his story in the late 1700s and early 1800s, and he was talking with a friend, Andrew Fuller, about mining and mining for gold, and had an in-depth conversation about that, and then they turned it into, you know, comparing it to mining for souls. So Andrew Fuller, they're in this conversation, and William Carey says this, listen, I'm willing to go into the pit. I just need you to hold the rope. And as I read that and as I heard that, I thought, man, that's such a great depiction of a church holding the rope for a generation. That we're willing to go into the pit and face some fire. I just need you to hold the rope. And so what's crazy is Fuller never made it overseas. See, William Carey was an English pastor, and then he spent the rest of his life until he died in 1834, 1839 in India being a missionary. And Andrew Fuller, who was a great friend of his, never made it to India, never made it overseas. He spent the last 21 years of his life writing letters, doing fundraisers, raising money, sending encouragement to those missionaries. He was holding the rope for William Carey and holding the rope for other missionaries who were on the front lines of those battles. But there's no doubt in my mind, and I, I think you would agree, there's no doubt that Fuller was as every bit essential into winning souls as William Carey was. You see, throughout Scripture, we can find stories of people holding the rope. And in every instance, it involved salvation, safety, protection, and healing. 
In Joshua chapter two, there's Rahab who lowers the spies from Jericho down to safety. In 1 Samuel 19, there's Saul's daughter, Micah, who is David's wife, who finds out that Saul wants to kill her husband, and so she lowers him through a window to safety. In Jeremiah 38, the prophet Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern to die, and because of his just warnings to a nation to turn to Jesus, and so thrown into a cistern, but then people found out, some friends found out, and they pulled him to safety. We're called to hold the rope, church, to a generation. We're called to hold the rope for our families. We're called to hold the rope for a nation. We're called to hold the rope. And how do we do that? I think sometimes the points we give in our, in our sermons, um, they seem, e the, the, the easiest ones, the ones that, that, that sound good seem easy, but they're sometimes the hardest to live. Would you agree? And so the first point of this message is how we hold a rope for generations. We pray. We pray, and if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you this morning pleaded the blood of Jesus over a generation, could I see those hands? Thank you. It's more than I thought. If I were to ask over this week, how many pleaded the blood of Christ over a generation? See, a lot of times it's easy to say, let's just pray for a generation versus do for a generation. And so I want to challenge us to pray for a generation. And it's more of a stand in the gap. It's not kind of a thank God for dinner prayer. It's a, it's a stand in the gap, carry them to Jesus kind of prayer. I kind of picture it this way. In Numbers, God is angry with Israel, and he's, he's, he wants to destroy them. So he begins this plague sweeping through thousands of people. And Moses looks at Aaron, or this generation, looks at Aaron, and he says, I need you to go to the altar. And so this is an altar, you know that. It's not just the front of a stage, but this is an everyday altar for us to find Jesus, get healing, repent, and get the fire of God in our life to go back into our world, back into our families, and back into a generation. So he tells Aaron to get the fire of God from the altar and run into your people. So Aaron runs, grabs the fire and the incense, and he runs in, and it says in Numbers, it says this, that where he stopped, death stopped. Where he stopped, death, some had already died. But where he stopped, death had stopped. That's the kind of prayer I'm thinking about for a generation, that where we step in, death stops. Confusion stops. Stops. And we need a generation to be willing to run to the altar, grab the fire of God, and run into a generation. So don't let prayer become just an anxiety-managing device. Remember, it's also a promise-claiming action. It's also a promise-claiming action. So instead of worrying about this generation, let's pray for them. Let's, let's seek God for them. And instead of being annoyed by this generation, let's love them. And instead of criticizing this generation, let's share our life and the gospel with them. Instead of questioning their decisions, let's help them navigate this world with the truth of God in their heart. And instead of calling this generation names, Let's actually learn a few names. And instead of writing this generation off, let's write their name on our heart. You see, we'll never see the need to grab the rope until we see their needs. And we'll never grab the rope until we see that need. And my prayer this morning is that we see the need for our families. We see the need for a generation to grab the rope and to hold vast, to hold tight and not let go. So would you, I think all of you were given a piece of rope, and I helped the team 
we have a bunch of senior citizens who come in and they cut these ropes and they were very mad at me by cutting 10,000 ropes, by the way. But I came and I helped them cut these ropes and it was, it was tough, but each one of these ropes was also shortly prayed over for you. Would you take this rope and would you commit with me every day to pray a minute for this generation? One minute, that's all I'm asking. A minute a day, pray. If you want a little poetry in there. A minute a day, pray. You see, you don't need to have long prayers when you live close to the throne of God. So pray, pray for this generation. Seek God on behalf of this generation. Stand in the gap to where you stand, death would stop. And let's carry our corner. That's the next point. Carry your corner, meaning show up for them and show them Jesus. Mark chapter two, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter two and Acts chapter nine. Those are the two portions of scripture I'm gonna be sharing uh, the most from. In Mark chapter two, there's uh, one of the all-time great classic stories. If you're any Sunday school people in the house, raised in Sunday school, you've kind of learned almost every story. You can recite them. Mark chapter two, there's a story of four guys, SEAL team four, I call them, or Harry, Barry, Larry, and Fred. Um, four friends who had one focus, to get their friend to Jesus and don't let go. And so we find it in chapter two, verses one. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the home was where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowds, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, seeing their faith, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. You see what Jesus is showing us here in this portion of scripture is that the greatest need in that room and the greatest need in this room. We would think it was for the man to be physically healed, but our greatest need is spiritual healing. Our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins. That is the greatest need. And I had an opportunity to go to um, Israel this December with a bunch of next-gen leaders and we went to the house of Peter, which this is the house that is supposed to have happened at. And there's a church built over this house. And this church is an octagon-shaped church. And, and you go into the church, an actual church is functioning. And you go into the church, but the middle of the church is this glass floor that you look down into the, the house in the room. And as everyone began to leave, I wanted them all to leave because I wanted to take a video and I wanted no one in the video, right? You want those like perfect shots, those like Instagram story shots where like, no one's here. So I was waiting for everyone to leave and then I just sat there and I began to just to, to cry a little bit because I pictured myself not as the person carrying the mat, but I pictured myself as the man on the mat who desperately needs Jesus in his life. And I need people in my life who are willing to do anything to get me to them. I may be struggling at times and I need friends to come along and get me to Jesus when I don't have the strength to move my legs. When I feel like sin has just crippled me and I feel like I can't go on. 
I began to picture that and look down over that and just became so thankful. Maslow, uh, a psychologist, he got it almost right when he created his hierarchy of needs. And on the screen, you'll see that he created these needs thinking of what makes people the most happiest. And, and he began to study people. And so his hierarchy of needs were, you know, the most basic need is air, water, food, shelter, that kind of thing, sleep. And then he talked about security needs and, and then social needs of intimacy and connection and belonging and then individual needs of self-esteem and recognition and then self-actualization. Not sure what that means. But he got it almost right. It's a good theory. It presents pretty accurate reality, but he missed Jesus in the whole thing. He misses that the greatest need for all of humanity, the greatest need for everyone in that room and this room and those watching online and those at our campuses is the forgiveness of our sins. And the Bible tells us that sin is a problem for all of us. We can't escape that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Sin is devastating power. It will crumble a spiritual giant and it can make it seem like it's impossible to move again because it separates us from Jesus. It's a separator. Have you ever felt the weight of that? The weight of our sin, the weight of your sin where you felt hopeless? You felt helpless, you felt lost and wanted unloved, not good enough, and the list goes on and on. And how we know is because the enemy of our soul likes to remind us of it. But Jesus, but Jesus, he shows us that the greatest need we have, he can meet. Listen to some other words that involve forgiveness and healing in, in scripture. To the woman at the well, he says, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. To Peter's mother-in-law, when, he when he healed her, woman, your sins are forgiven. To the centurion's servant, my son, your sins are forgiven. And to the paralyzed man on this mat, my child, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, get the theme, their faith. This generation is depending on your faith. It's depending on our faith. And not everyone has the same calling, I get that. Not everyone is called to be a youth pastor. I've been doing this for 26 years. Not everyone's been called to be a kid's pastor. Not everyone has the same calling. I totally get that. But all of us, all of us are called to an equal commitment. We all have an equal commitment calling. And so whatever the calling is to you, your job is obedience, to carry your corner and to hold on. And I think the best way to show a generation Jesus is to just show up is just show up in their life because presence changes perspective and you get close enough, it will break your heart. And you get close enough, it will bother you enough and if enough of us could just get close enough, but we'll never grab the rope if we never see the need. And sometimes it seems daunting when we talk to students and I'm so proud of you and I love you guys up in the student section. It seems so daunting when we tell students to go change your school for Christ. Have you ever seen a whole school change for Christ? Have you heard about that on the news yet? Or telling you to go change your, the world for Christ? It seems daunting like that. So I'm not asking you, you don't have to change the world, but we should all want to change something. Change a life, a friend, to sit with them at lunch, to be Jesus with skin on, 
to let them see that you love them no matter the scars. You should wanna change something. And I believe when enough people change something, we begin to see a world change. So we, we talked about the mat, the bed, which represents salvation and healing. A generation needs salvation and healing. But then in Acts chapter nine, there's the basket, or the bed, basket, and beyond. <laughs> Acts chapter nine says this, and this is, says Saul, but it's really Paul, but Paul didn't get his name changed until chapter 13, where you started hearing him be called Paul. And this is right after his conversion, and him seeing Jesus and scales falling off of his eyes and, and, and radically being changed. And so Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. The bed representing salvation and healing and the, the basket representing protection and support. You know, the church has always been under attack. All through history, the church has been under attack. You've been under attack. I've been under attack. Every generation has been under attack. And it's our job. Satan has placed a target on this generation, and it's our job to make sure he misses. It's our job to make sure he misses by a long shot. I think in this room, there are collective scars in this place that can help a generation learn from some of our experiences. Don't let those scars go to waste. He doesn't waste a thing. You and I are here, and if you really think about it, if you think about how you got here, you think about your salvation story, you think about when you said yes to Jesus, and if you haven't said yes to Jesus, you have an amazing opportunity even right now to say yes to Jesus because someone invited you. Someone's holding your rope, but how you and I got here, someone held fast to our rope. They prayed for us, they fought for us, and they protected us with their shields of faith. And the reason it's so important to hold the rope and to hold fast to a rope is because there's someone important on the other end of this rope. The reason it's so important that we carry our corner and that we we, we hold this rope and we hold tight to this rope because there's someone important that is on the end of this. There's someone's faith on the line. There's someone's life on the line. And would you hold a rope for a generation? Would you hold a rope for your kids and your family and, and those you come in contact with? But not just your own kids. There are spiritual kids who need you to hold vast, hold tight to their life. You see, just like the four men in Mark chapter Two, and then these hidden heroes that we don't even know their name. We don't even know what they did. We don't even know if they struggled with sin. We don't know anything about their life. We just know that they held the rope, that they showed up and they held the rope. And before grabbing the ropes, they didn't even quiz Saul to see if they would do everything the way they wanted him to do it. They just held the rope. And even though there was danger for their own lives of getting caught, they held the rope. And had they not held the rope for Saul, who soon would become Paul, I don't know if we would be reading the same scripture today. They didn't know all that Paul would do with his life. They didn't know that he would be the greatest teacher, missionary this world has ever seen, that has radically transformed this world. 
They didn't know that he would write two-thirds of the New Testament that we hold true today. They just held the rope. So what may seem as a menial task to you, what may seem as a menial task in sitting in, a, in, in um, the nursery holding a baby or in lower elementary or in leading an hour small group, what may seem menial to you, I want you to know has an eternal significance eternal significance. So my final point for us is we pray, we carry our corner, and we don't let go. That's Greek for don't quit. You see, there's not only work to be done, but there's also work that needs to be finished. One of my mentors, Jeannie Mayo, she would always, she's been in youth ministry three decades. She would always say this, the world is full of great starters, but not great finishers. And may we be a generation that teaches another generation some grit of how to finish. We may, how to finish well, but we may have some hiccups along the way. I get it. I think we all can attest we've had hiccups or maybe sin that we felt has taken us out. But by the name of Jesus, there is forgiveness and restoration to continue to hold fast for a generation. Nehemiah, um, I think about Nehemiah when he was on the wall and there was distractions coming against him and, and Sanballat was wanting to basically kill him to stop building this wall. And there was a statement that came out of his mouth that really is such an amazing statement. He says, I can't come down because I'm doing a good work. I can't come down because I'm doing a good work. And may we have a statement as a church, as Seacoast Church, as a family, where we say, I can't let go. I can't let go. I'm doing a good thing. I can't let go. There's a generation on this line. I'm doing a good work. I can't let go of this rope. Psalm 78 is probably one of my favorite Psalm uh, chapters um, because it's all about next gen. And all throughout my Bible, I have these yellow tabs, and you probably can't see them on here, but I have these yellow tabs. And it talks about the, all those yellow tabs are the importance of an older generation passing faith to the younger generation. And in Psalm 78, it begins like this it's with a very act of remembering and telling stories to the younger generation of the truths of God and what he's done. But then verse 9 just like sneaks in and punches you. And there's a lot of flyover verses because you're reading all these great things and then you read, oh, okay, whatever, and then you move on. But if you sit on verse nine for a second, it's haunting. And it says this, the warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done. Now, if you know anything about the Ephraimites, their number one skill in war and battle was bows. Like, they knew how to handle a bow. They were Hawkeye, for real, for real. But on the day of battle, what happened? They forgot. You see, I've read the end of this. We win. It's okay to read the last chapter of this book, right? You can skip to the end on this one because... It gives you the victory and the confidence to know that we win this thing. We win. Hold tight. We win. You're going to go through some bumps, but we win. What they, for, they forgot. They forgot the goodness of God. They forgot the salvation. They forgot that all that God had done and all that he had brought them through. And so they turned their backs on a generation. And so instead of holding the rope, they dropped the ball. 
But thank God that Jesus never quit on you. Jesus never quit on me. Thank God that when you read this, that he went all the way to the cross, all the way to the cross to die for my sins. And I do not deserve the sacrifice he paid for me. All the way, he did not quit for me. He did not quit for you. He is not willing that none should perish, but all come to repentance. You see, there would have been no good news if Jesus quit. No sacrifice for my sins, no resurrection, no hope, no salvation, only death. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that there is hope in Jesus and a resurrection in Jesus. I'm at the end, I'm at the end, um, but if you work with Next Gen, if you serve in student ministry, you serve in kids' ministry at our campuses, I don't know if you serve in online, but if you're online, stand as well. Um, but our campus isn't here. Stand if you serve with Next Gen. Could you and just stay standing for me for a second because I wanna read something over you. You can give them a, a, a huge, amazing. Please stay standing because I wanna read this over you. <clears throat> you are not entertainment. You are not their entertainment. You are frontline warriors who carry a unique ability to serve or most fear to tread. Don't quit. You carry the Father's heart and reflect his love to every tiny and teenage soul. Even when you feel unseen and exhausted, thank you for being present and bringing with you the very presence of God. May you know your labor is not in vain. Love you. Thank you. I have a small video I wanna, I wanna show you that our, that our team put together. And again, this isn't just a parenting message. This isn't just a, a next-gen message. This is a message for all of us to hold the rope. A minute a day, let's pray to hold the rope for this generation. But I wanna share this with you about um, staying in the fight. This is the letter I wish I could write. This fight we're in right now, I need it. I can't tell you this because I don't have the language for it and it wouldn't make sense anyway. But I need this fight. But I do need this fight, badly. I need to hate you right now and I need you to survive it. I need you to survive my hating you and you hating me. And I need this fight, even though I hate it too. It doesn't matter what this fight is about. Curfew, homework, my messy room, going out. Staying in, leaving. Not leaving, boyfriend. My girlfriend, no friends, too many friends. It doesn't matter. I need to fight you on it, and I need you to fight back. I need you to fight back. I need you to fight me back. I desperately need you to hold the other end of the rope, to hang on tightly while I thrash on the other end, while I find the handholds and footholds in this world I find myself in. I used to know who I was, who you were, who we were, but right now I don't. Right now I'm 
looking for my edges. Sometimes I can only find them when I'm pulling on you. When I push everything I used to know to its edge, then I feel like I exist. And for only a minute, I can breathe. I know you long for the sweeter kid I was. I know you long for the sweeter kid I was. I know you long for the sweeter kid I was. I know this because I long for that too. And that longing is what is so painful right now. I need this fight. I need this fight and I need to see that no matter how big or how bad my feelings are, they won't destroy you or me. I need you to love me even when it looks like I don't love you. I need you to love yourself and me, for both of us right now. I know it sucks always being labeled the bad guy, but I feel the same way on the inside. But I just need you to tolerate it. You can get all your grown-up friends together and, and have a surviving your teenager support group rage fest. That's fine with me. Talk about me behind my back. I don't care. Just don't give up on me. Don't give up on this fight. Don't give up on this fight. I need it. This is the fight that will teach me my shadow is not bigger than my light. That my shadow is not bigger than my light. That my shadow is not bigger than my light. This is the fight that will teach me that bad feelings don't mean the end of a relationship. This is the fight that will teach me how to listen to myself. Even when it might disappoint others. And this particular fight is like any other storm. It'll blow over and we'll forget. Then it will come back and I'll need you to hang on to the rope again. I'll probably never thank you or even acknowledge your side of it. In fact, I'll probably criticize you for all of your work. It will seem like nothing you do will be enough. And yet I'm relying entirely on your ability to stay in this fight. No matter how much I argue, no matter how much I sulk, no matter the weight of my silence. Please hang on to the other end of the rope and know you are doing the most important thing that anyone could possibly do for me. I love you. 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 Watch that thing so many times to try to get through every service, and it's still. Is ministering to this generation easy? But is it necessary? I would say absolutely necessary. You see those sailors who tattooed their knuckles, they shared this motto one hand to you one hand to the ship. Basically meaning take care of yourself so that you could care for others. And may I challenge us this morning, wherever you're at, wherever you're at with God, may you recover your heart through repentance, recommitment, whatever it may be, may you recover your heart so that we can fight for the hearts of
of a generation. One hand to God and one hand to a generation that we would hold fast and hold the rope. We all have one thing in common with our unique stories of how we became a Christian and how we said yes to Jesus. There's one common thread in all of that. There was someone who held the rope for us. There was someone who invited you. There was someone who prayed for you. There was someone who challenged you. There was someone who just lived the example in front of you. And they held the rope for you to say yes to Jesus. And so may we say yes to Jesus today and yes to a generation. I'm going to stay online to our campuses and kind of walk through our response a little bit because there's a couple ways that you can respond. It's always hard sometimes when you want to, when you, when you need to ask for things, but I just want to share a few ways that you can respond to this generation. We always do a camp every year, a kids camp and a youth camp and our campuses are doing kids camps as well. And in our youth camp, and we always have just a, an extreme need for scholarships and help. Matter of fact, we have about $80,000 more need this year than we've seen in previous years. And you know what's so crazy is that over the past 10 years, since 2012, we've seen $888,000 come in from your generosity to scholarships. We're almost at a million dollars of giving to just camp scholarships. Isn't that amazing? 2,100 unique givers who said yes to a generation that I want to help someone find and follow Jesus. And we know that camp is an amazing, kids camp and youth camp is an amazing experience for them to get away and connect with Jesus. I've also had an opportunity to work with an organization called One Hope where we developed a student study Bible where I got to help the team be part of crafting and creating the Telos study Bible. And my heart is to be able to put this word of God into every teenager's hands at our campuses. And so you'll see something on the screens maybe, yeah, something on the screens about our legacy lane. And if you feel led to be able to give to camp, you can go to camp.fyi to donate to camp. If you feel led to help get a Bible in every student's hands who doesn't have a Bible, uh, you can give there as well. But in our kids as well, they, they have a Bible they want to put in every kid's hands. And, and we just want to see this 4% biblical literacy shoot through the roof. We want to see a, a generation like hungry for the word of God. To navigate this world, to know how to navigate this world, they have to look to their true north. And that is the word of God. And then if you feel led to serve in your campus, you feel led to serve wherever you are calling Seacoast home, right outside the doors of your auditorium or wherever they have it set up, your next gen team has an opportunity for you to sign up to serve. And there might be some things on the screen too as well to text to serve. But would you pray about how God is challenging you to hold the rope for this generation. Not all of us have the same calling, but we all have an equal commitment. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We just thank you for this church, a church that I deeply love and I'm so grateful for to have spent so many years serving the next generation and watching this church get behind every crazy idea and every, every gift that we've asked for, they've gotten behind and they have, they have supported and held the ropes for a generation. And we're saying, Lord, do it again. This new generation, Lord, protect them. Guard their hearts. 
may they be able to see you clearly through our life and through your word. And Lord, for those in this space who need to say yes to you for the first time, may this morning be a morning that they recover their heart by giving it to you so that they can in turn begin to fight for the hearts of others. We love you. We thank you for who you are and all you've done and all you will continue to do. In your name I pray, amen.